good morning. I want to welcome you to worship those who are here and those who are joining us online. My name is Farrah Carmi, and I'm the youth pastor here at Woodlawn, and I'm honored to be able to preach here this morning. One thing you need to know about me is that I'm not super trendy. I don't typically hop on the latest trends, and it's not because I'm unaware of these trends. I just don't do it. And so back in 2019, there was a, um, a trend called the 10-year the transformation on Facebook. And so many people did it, and then it restarted again in 2022. And it was fascinating to see these transformation pictures. And so you'd see somebody, what they look like today and what they looked like 10 years ago. And so you'd see this total transformation in their life. Like some people lost a ton of weight over 10 years, or some people um, went from being single to married with all the kids or whatever it was. And it was really cool to see this 10-year challenge. And so I made a 10-year transformation challenge right here um, so you guys could see what I looked like <laughs> 10 years ago. Um, so 10 years ago, I was 17. I was a junior in high school, and um, I knew that the Lord was calling me to ministry. And I didn't know what that would ultimately look like, but I knew that I was going to go to Sanford University in Birmingham, and I knew that I was going to study religion and Spanish. Um, but I had no idea that the Lord would then call me to a small town called Enterprise, Alabama. And I surely didn't know that the Lord would then call me to Georgia, um, to a city called Albany. And I definitely didn't know that the Lord would then call me to Panama City Beach, Florida, to serve here at Woodlawn Church. But I sure am grateful for that. You see, a lot can happen in 10 years. God can do absolutely amazing things in 10 years if we're willing to continue in him. You see, on that picture, I still look relatively the same. I definitely have a lot more um, gray hairs, but, but I look relatively the same. Um, I did have straight hair, now I have curly hair. My favorite color is still blue, um, but, but I can tell you that my faith and my trust in Jesus is vastly different between those two pictures. I once heard a pastor say that our faith is never the same. There is no like stagnant faith. We're either growing closer to Jesus or we're growing away from Jesus. And so this morning, we're gonna be looking at a transformation story. But before I do that, I want us to quickly recap where we've been the last few weeks here at Woodlawn because I feel like the, the message that I'm preaching this morning lines up with what, where we've been. And so if you were here for our family Easter experience on a Wednesday night, we looked at the end of the story. And we talked about how the end of the story matters because the end of the story changes everything. And then last week on Easter Sunday, Pastor Joe asked the question of, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And so what he's saying is we can all agree that the resurrection is important, but at some point we have to decide for ourselves if we actually believe this. And so I'm gonna take us one step further and say, okay, if we believe this, then this should produce transformation in our lives. And so this morning, we're gonna be looking at a transformation story that's a lot better than my transformation story. A story in which God took someone who was drastically opposed to him and changed his life for all of eternity. I believe the, the Bible is a big picture of but God. But God, a story in which sin and suffering and failure and pain and death never have the final say, but God does something radical and changes people's lives. You see, Moses was a murderer, but God met him in a burning bush and called him to be his voice, to be God's voice to the Pharaoh. Jonah was a coward, but God allowed a great fish to swallow him. And Jonah went on to preach the gospel of God's deliverance in Nineveh. 
Peter denied Jesus three times, but God reinstated him over a charcoal fire and extended grace to him. And Peter goes on to become the greatest proclaimer of the gospel prior to the apostle Paul. You see, the whole Bible is a picture of but God. And so this morning, we're gonna be looking at Paul's but God moment. And so if you would take your copy of God's word and turn with me to Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse four. So while you're turning there, Acts chapter 26 really recaps what happens in Acts chapter nine. So I'm gonna give you like a 45 second recap of what, act, what happens in Acts nine so that you're up to speed on Acts chapter 26. And so the church is, is facing immense persecution but yet it's still growing. And Saul is opposing all those who belong to Jesus. In fact, when Stephen was being stoned in Acts chapter seven, Saul is the one standing there giving approval to what is happening. And so he actually thought that he was doing God a service. He actually thought that he was doing God a service. And so he, what he was doing was stomping out what he perceived to be a threat to the Israelite religion. And Saul got authority from the high priest to go as far as Damascus to find any Christians there that were following Jesus and so that he could persecute them. And so he had the highest Jewish council backing him. This is a pretty big deal to have all this support behind him. But it's here on his way to Damascus that Saul falls to the ground. And it's not because of heat stroke. It's not because he tripped over a rock, but God. And it's in this moment that Saul's life is forever altered. But this is not the end of the story. This is just the beginning. In Philippians 1.6, it says that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. God started an incredible work right here in Saul's life, but this is not the end. This is just the beginning. And Saul is not just saved from persecuting Christians, but he is saved for something. Point number one is this, is that we were created to do good works. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. So we were all created for a purpose. We were all created for a purpose. Now, I wanna be clear here that we are not saved by what we do, but we are saved by grace through faith. And now we're saved for something. So our good works are not salvific, meaning they don't save us. So we, we don't come to church, we don't read our Bible, we don't pray to earn God's salvation. It is freely given to us. We come out of an overflow of our love for God. That is why we come to church. And so Acts chapter 26 shows this transformation in Paul's life. And as Paul stands here on trial before King Agrippa and all the other Jewish leaders, he has five statements that really summarize his defense. They really are his testimony. He's really recounting what happened in Acts chapter nine. So here we go, beginning in verse four. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, they have known me for a long time and can testify if they are willing that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. 
And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I even tried to force them to blasphemy. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. So Paul's first line of defense is that he lived as a Pharisee. He was a devout Pharisee. He was the son of a Pharisee. He was a zealous persecutor of the church and he punished believers and tried to get them to deny Jesus. And some of them, he helped send them to their death. You see, this is not just like a casual weekend adventure. This was not just something Saul did on the side, but this was his life. This is what he was devoted to. Right, it says that he went to foreign cities to find these people, that he was obsessed with persecuting Christians. This was his life. But then something happens. Verse 12, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. Number two, he sees a light. Paul considered himself an enlightened man. He was a smart guy. He was a Jew, he was a, he was a, he was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were familiar with 600, 600 of the Old Testament. Of the Old Testament. Saul, knew, Saul knew exactly the story. He was not, he was not, Jesus was not, Jesus was not a him. This was not something, something critical. He knew, he knew his religion. But yet he lived, he lived in spiritual darkness. See, the truth is, is that we can know a lot about Jesus. We can know a lot about the church. We can even win debates with people. And we can know a lot about religion without actually having a personal relationship with Jesus. And this is exactly where Saul finds himself. He knew all the right answers. He could beat any of us in a Sunday school test, but he didn't know Jesus. And so a supernatural light, which was the glory of God revealed from heaven, blinded him for three days. And although his spiritual eyes were opened in this moment, a light was not enough. He also had to hear the voice of God. So verse 14, we all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. The Lord replied, now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Number three, he heard a voice. And notice it's not just a generic calling. It's not just a casual voice, but, but God calls him by name twice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he learned that Jesus was alive, right? This is the resurrection story, Easter Sunday that we just celebrated. Jesus is alive and that Paul was not just persecuting the church, but he was actually persecuting Jesus. But this is not the end. And what we see right here is that God gives Paul a mission. He gives him a focus. He gives him a direction. He calls him and he says this, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes. Remember Saul's eyes were closed. He was living in spiritual darkness. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. Remember Saul was living in spiritual darkness. And isn't it interesting that right here, God takes what was Saul's life and uses that now. And that will be his platform, Saul's platform for telling the good news of Jesus. 
Isn't that incredible what God does? You see, God does not waste our wounds. I really believe that. The things that we go through that are absolutely terrible and they stink, I believe that God can use those because I've seen it in my life. I see it right here in scripture. That the things we go through are never ever wasted if we're willing to bring those to the feet of Jesus and allow him to use them. Verse 19. So then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. This is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. His fourth line of defense is that I was not disobedient. When the Lord told him what to do, he did it immediately. He began right in Damascus and it almost cost him his life. And then he attempted to witness to the Jews in Jerusalem and they attempted to kill him. But despite this, Paul remained obedient to the vision and to the voice from God. You see, I believe what this tells us right here is that following Jesus is not always easy. I believe that the apostle Paul would wholeheartedly say that. And I would say that in my own personal life, following Jesus is not always easy. But at some point, we have to decide for ourselves if we believe that it is worth it. And I can tell you right now, I wholeheartedly believe that. And I believe Paul would say the exact same thing because we see it in verse 22. He says this, but God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets of Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer. And as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Lastly, Paul says he continued to this day. You know, it's one thing to have a great beginning with visions and voices, but it's another thing to keep going, especially when the going gets tough. I can remember that when I decided to follow Jesus, I was like, nothing can stop me. Like, I mean, I was on fire for the Lord, on fire for the Lord. I could not wait to tell everybody I knew about Jesus. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, when God saved me, it was like, boom, like right there, right then, I'm, I'm ready, I'm all in. But then things happen, right? And life gets hard and circumstances change and leadership changes and churches change and locations change and everything changes. And I began to see the joy and the passion that I once had begin to, to die out a little bit. And that light that I once had began to get a little bit dim. That can happen in our life but it's one thing to keep going, right? To continue in him despite that and to trust and believe at some point, yes, the Lord is gonna continue to do an amazing work in your life and you will have that joy and passion again. Maybe you just have to get through this hardship right here. But the fact that Paul continued was proof of his conversion and the evidence of the faithfulness of God. So point number two is this, our past does not have to define our future. You see, Paul no longer is who he once was. In Acts chapter nine, Paul describes himself as a blasphemer, as a persecutor, as a violent man, but that is not who Paul is anymore, right? He's a child of God. He is complete in Christ. He is free from condemnation. He's been redeemed and forgiven. This is who he is now. He has a new identity and the same thing is true for us. We are not who we once were. When God saves us and redeems us, he changes us and we are new. We are new people. And so we don't have to allow the past to dictate our future. We don't have to allow our past mistakes to define who we are. And then we get to my favorite part in the entire scripture. 
Verse 28. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Okay, there's so many things to point out here. First of all, the word Christian is only used three times in the Bible. Only three times. It's not a common word in the Bible, but it is first used in Acts chapter 11 as the believers in Antioch are first called Christians. And then we see it here in Acts chapter 26. And the last time we see it is in 1 Peter and it's in regard to Christians who are suffering. So this word Christian is not always thrown out. And so basically what King Agrippa is saying is, hey, great story, great story. Thanks for sharing your testimony to me, but do you think that your testimony is gonna actually change my life? Do you think that your nice story is actually gonna change who I am and persuade me to be a Christian? So I don't know how you read that, but I read that with a little bit of sass in there. Um, and thankfully my name is not next because I would not reply the same way that Paul replied. And this is why I'm not gonna be in the Bible, but <clears throat> it's also a closed canon, but that's a whole other conversation. But, <laughs> um, but, but I love Paul's reply. It's brilliant and it's so humble and it's so, it attributes to the work of God in his life. And this is what he says, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Do you hear this? What he's saying is short time or long. It doesn't matter the time frame. I'm not after a timeline. I'm not trying to convert you today or tomorrow or the next day. I'm just trying to be obedient to God. It doesn't matter the timeline, but I pray to God. So here he is seeking the almighty, right? Not going out in his own strength or his own power. I pray to God that not only you, meaning you, King Agrippa, but all of those who are listening, all of these Jewish leaders who have been persecuting him, who are trying to kill him, who have put him in prison, that you may become what I am, except for these chains, meaning except for the suffering, except for the hardship, except for all the baggage that has gone along with this. He is a better man than I will ever be, right? I mean, that's incredible. <laughs> that you may become what I am, except for these chains. Well, of course, this begs the question of, oh, who is Paul? What does he want them to become? Well, first of all, he's a passionate follower of Jesus now. He's a man redeemed by the saving power of Christ. He's a man who allowed God to take control of his life and use him for God's honor and God's glory. A man who did not allow his past to disqualify him, but instead a man who allowed his past to become a platform to tell others the saving news of Jesus Christ. That is who Paul is. And that is what true transformation looks like. You see, we were dead in our sins, but God made us alive in Christ. We were lost, but God invited us to be found. We deserve death, but God insisted on life for us. We were eternally separated from God, but God so loved us that he sent his son to the cross so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. You see your story and my story and all those in this room who have professed faith in Christ have a but God story. And if we don't find ourselves in this story, we might miss it this morning. You see, we too were like Saul in Acts chapter nine. At some point we were opposed to God. We were not born Christians. Pastor Joe said last week that there are no, there are no grandchildren in heaven, right? That we are all children of God. We all have to make a choice for ourselves and decide, hey, I'm gonna follow Jesus. So we were just like Saul in Acts chapter nine, but God in the midst of our sin, but God in the midst of our spiritual death, but God in the midst of our alienation so loved us that he sent Jesus to the cross so that whoever believes in him will not perish, 
but will have everlasting life. Your story at the age of six, 16, 26, 36, 96 is a but God story. You see, I've had many desires in my life, many desires. And when I first started out in ministry, I thought success looked like having the largest student ministry. That is what I define success as, having the largest student ministry, serving at the largest church, making the most money, whatever it was. But God has really transformed my life on that because that is not the picture of success. It may be the worldly picture of success, but I don't believe that's how God defines success. Success looks like obedience. It looks like transformation. It looks like allowing God to transform your life. And so when I was serving in enterprise, God really did a work on my heart. And so when I was leaving enterprise to move to Georgia, we had this big celebration. All the students made this big picture collage and they all signed it and their parents signed it and many church members and leaders all signed it. And it's in my office right now. And it's, it's incredible. And so in the upper left corner, a seventh grade boy wrote the most profound thing. So you take a minute and think about a seventh grade boy and then you think about the word profound with that. It's incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> and so he wrote, I didn't read it until I got back to, until I got to Georgia and it blew my mind. This is what he wrote. In learning to love you, I became to love God as well. Do you hear that? In learning to love you, I became to love God as well. What he's saying in having a relationship with you and seeing you invest in my life and getting to know you, I came to know and to love the God that you serve. That is what success should look like as believers and followers of Jesus. It's not just for people in ministry, but it's for all of us. That our goal should be that those who are around us whether they know Jesus or whether they don't know Jesus, that ultimately the way that we live our lives, it makes them want to know Jesus more. And they get to the point where they know and they trust and they believe in the God that we serve. That is what I believe a transformed follower should look like. And let me tell you right now, I don't get it right all the time. But if I never do anything right in ministry ever again, that is one thing that I believe that I got right. And I'm so, it's, it's a huge honor and I will never forget that. Right, that we want more and more of Jesus and more and more of Jesus means less and less of us. And that ultimately those around us, our kids, our grandkids, our friends, they come to know and trust and believe in the God that we serve because they see that God so clearly portrayed in us. As I think back on my 10 year transformation, I'm reminded of a girl who was scared, a girl who, who was insecure, who was struggling to figure out who she wanted to be despite a call from God in her life. I see a girl who was looking for love in all the wrong places and who deeply desired to be popular and fit in. But I am not that girl anymore. But above all, as I look at that picture, I see a warrior and a fighter and a girl who would never give up on the Lord because ultimately she knows that he is where the joy is found. I've experienced a lot of healing in my life, a lot of transformation and a lot of sanctification over the last 10 years. And I wouldn't trade a single thing. Colossians 2, six through seven says, so then just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue 
to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And then 1 John 2, 28 says, and now dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. This morning, do you believe that God wants to do a radical transformation in your life? He doesn't just wanna make you a better person. He doesn't just want your behavior to, inc- to improve. God is not after your behavior, but he's after your heart. And he wants your life to conform to the image of his son. Point number three is this, transformation is the result of choosing, it's a choice of choosing to continue in him. The transformation that God does in our lives is not always easy. It's not always fast and it sure ain't always fun, but I can promise you that it is always worth it. This past week, as I was preparing to preach, I was reminded of a song that I heard a long time ago, right when I first accepted Jesus. And for me, I I hear most clearly from the Lord through worship. If I could sing, I would be in this band in a heartbeat, but I cannot, so I will gladly sit over there. Um, But I, I love worship music. It's so powerful to me. And so these are the words of the song. It's called Changed. And basically the premise of the song is that Jesus changes everything about us. He doesn't just change what we do on Sunday mornings and he doesn't just change the clothes that we wear on Sundays, but he changes everything about us. It says this, Jesus, you've changed the way that I wear my wedding ring. You've changed the way that I see all my friends. You've changed the time that I spend. You've changed the way that I use my mind. You changed the things that I spend money on. You changed my eyes and what I let them see. You've changed the course of history. That's the resurrection story that we just celebrated. And thank God you're still changing me. Thank God you're still changing me, right? This is not the end of our stories. God is still doing an incredible work in our lives. And he will continue to do that if we choose to continue to seek him. This morning, what is it you're struggling to believe that God can do? If God can transform someone's life like Paul, I'm confident that God can transform your life and God can transform my life. But what is it that you need to surrender to him? And now dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. This morning, let us pray together. God, we love you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we get to come here and we get to worship you. And God, we don't ever wanna just take that for granted, but God, we know that it is a gift. And so God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is alive and active. And no matter how many times we read something, God, there's always something new that we can learn. And so God, today we thank you for transformation. We thank you for a change in Paul's life, which ultimately shows us that you can change and you can transform our lives as well. And so God, we wanna trust you for that. We wanna believe you for that. God, we know and we believe that you have good plans for our life. That the work that you start in our lives, you are gonna carry it on to completion because that is the kind of God that you are. You are a good God, you are a kind God, and you are a transformational God that you can do whatever you want in our lives. And so God, this morning, we wanna say, here we are. Come do it. 
come change our lives. Lord, help us to surrender the areas and the things in our lives that we are holding back, that we doubt that you can change. God, we know that you can change it because you are a healer. You are a miracle worker. And you can take that which was broken and make it new again. And so God, we give you all the honor and all the glory. So God, we love you and we pray all these things in your name, amen.